Hello, folks. Dr. Maurice Selby here, medical director, producer, and co-host of Health in Harlem on WHCR 90.3 FM and the Health in Harlem podcast. While we strive to bring you the most up-to-date, reliable, evidence-based information to help you live the healthiest life possible, this show does not substitute for an evaluation by a trained and licensed medical professional. It is highly recommended that any advice or recommendations on medications, treatments, nutrition, fitness, preventive services, etc. be implemented under the guidance and supervision of your primary medical provider or appropriate specialist. With that said, we hope that you enjoy and learn from our program, and please be sure to let us know how we can best serve you in future shows. Hello, ladies and gentlemen of the listening audience. This is Maurice Selby, and you are listening to the one and only Health in Harlem on WHCR 90.3 FM New York, the voice of Harlem and the Health in Harlem podcast. And ladies and gentlemen, today is November 18th, 2021, and it is the 45th Great American Smokeout, the American Cancer Society's Great American Smokeout. And I have a distinguished guest with us. Dr. Daniel Friedberg. He is an associate professor at the University of Chicago, and he is a a clinical psychologist and also a researcher, um, mainly focusing on uh, substance use disorders and also addiction medicine, alcohol cessation, smoking cessation. But that's what we're going to get into today, ladies and gentlemen, is really just uh, talk about what we need to do um, in honor of the Great American Smokeout when it comes to smoking in this country. Um, So welcome to the program, Dr. Friedberg. Thank you. Great to be here. Yes, we are so honored to have you. Um, But ladies and gentlemen, I know you're probably like, wait, when is he going to air it out, right? Well, yes, we're still going to air it out. Um, Not going to focus on much misinformation for this air it out session. What I will bring up is something that came up very recently Uh, in the media uh, regarding overdose deaths in this country. Um, This is something that we talked about recently as far as the increase in overdose deaths. We've definitely seen um, an uptick in the last couple of years, and especially since the onset of this crisis with COVID-19. And so just wanted to, um, for a second, uh, take a moment to really focus on that problem because this is something too that we really need to sort of deal with um, in this country. And I know there's people out there um, that might be struggling with this, right? Problem as far as substance use uh, disorders. We might have family, friends, uh, colleagues, and it is so important that we really just take a second to to think about what is going on around us. Um, And Dr. Friedberg, any, um, as far as your experience in and expertise um, in addiction medicine and substance use disorders. Um, any reason? I think we're kind of, you know, stuck as far as what is actually going on when we we talk about this increase in the number of overdose deaths um, that we're seeing. Yeah. Well, sadly, as you noted, uh, today's November the eighteenth, 
just yesterday, the CDC announced a rather grim milestone for the country. Uh, 100,000 Americans died of a drug overdose between April 2020 and April 2021. And this is unfortunately uh, the first time in U.S. history that this many people have died of a drug overdose in a one-year period. Um, this seems to be driven primarily by uh, fentanyl overdoses. Um, some of your listeners might know if I've heard of what fentanyl is. Fentanyl is a synthetic opioid that is uh, much more potent than morphine or heroin. Um, approximately two milligrams of fentanyl can kill an average-sized adult male versus about 30 milligrams of of, uh, heroin, rather. And if you look at what two milligrams of powder looks like, it's practically nothing. It looks like dust. Mm. So um, overdose overdose deaths uh, uh, from opioids like fentanyl alone are up 30% in the past year as well. So we really have a crisis on our hands here. And to also answer the question of what's going on here, you know, when the COVID-19 pandemic hit us, a lot of folks all of a sudden didn't have access to um, supports. They didn't have access to in-person treatments mm. or any treatment whatsoever. A lot of treatment programs shut down. They may not have been able to visit their doctor. They may not have been able to get medications to help them. Uh, so, you know, this is kind of the perfect storm, unfortunately, of, uh, of problems that are contributing to this crisis. Got it. And one thing, you know, in terms of, I think it's really important that we raise awareness. And I thank you for sharing that um, as far as fentanyl being sort of, you know, one of the major causes of this uptick in deaths. You know, when we talk about substance use um, and especially substance use disorders. And as you've stated, the sort of difficulty that individuals have been having in getting access to support services, um, especially when it comes to stopping these things. Um, what would you advise? Is there any advice as far as the safe use of this? And the reason why I say that is because, right, people I think are, right, it's difficult to stop. Um, and so if a right. person is going to use any of these substances, is there any way or any evidence, um, you know, in which they can do this safer? Well, one thing, uh, you know, this is this is a topic called that we call harm reduction, right, where, where mm-hmm. we kind of meet people where they're at and we understand that it's hard for people to stop. Um, stopping can be very uncomfortable. Some people may not be ready to stop. Um, but we really want to prevent people from dying. You know, uh, you can't help people who are dead. So what I would suggest is, um, in many jurisdictions now you can acquire, uh, you can get your hands on some naloxone. This can be administered via, uh, something like a nasal spray even where the, mm-hmm. naloxone is a, is a drug that, um, paramedics might give if they come onto a scene and they know someone's or they suspect someone's overdosed and that will reverse the effects of the overdose. So that can really save lives. And that, that's, a, there's a big push now to get more, to get naloxone out to people so that they have it. Um, they can give it, they can hold on to it. They can give it to their friends. Mm-hmm. Um, using alone is definitely, uh, uh, risky because if you, if you're, if you're using by yourself or you're using with everyone is intoxicated, um, or under the influence, then uh, no one can help you if you stop, if your breathing slows down or you, or you have a problem. So those would be my, my two starter suggestions would be to, um, you know, get your hands on some naloxone and make sure that you're not isolated, you know, by yourself because that's very dangerous. Yes. And, and especially when it comes to using the front, using with a friend, I can't tell you how many times, 
um, that right in my experience at working in the emergency department, it was the friend um, that got the person to the emergency department to be treated. They right. called 911, which we recommend definitely doing. Um, you know, don't wor- worry about the legal ramifications. No one is trying to um, arrest you or prosecute you, or that has nothing to do with it. You call 911 and get that person help. Um, and I can't tell you how many times that that was right. Probably the difference maker in getting that person to us. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. To take care of, or administering naloxone too. We've definitely had that where um, uh, when using together, right, one person realized somebody was in trouble and used, right, administered naloxone and still called 911. I would say mm-hmm. still call 911 mm-hmm. and get that person mm-hmm. help um, mm-hmm. if it comes to using that. Um, yeah. And the also, emphasis really needs to be on saving lives. That's it. Yes. You know, the emphasis really needs to be on saving lives. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you very much, Dr. Friedberg. Of course, for sharing that. But ladies and gentlemen, just something to really uh, be aware of. And I will be incorporating um, resources, right, that that you can access through our show notes. Um, We'll definitely include that on our podcast page. And so now we got to jump into uh, the great American smokeout. I'm going to put things into perspective. Ladies and gentlemen, there is an agenda on this program today. Right. Because it is the great American smokeout, we are going to be talking about smoking cessation, right? Quitting smoking, not only for this day. We want you to stop for the day. If you are an active smoker, right, you stop today um, for the cause and just to acknowledge um, the great American, the great American smoke smokeout. Um, and as Dr. Friedberg said, saving lives, because that's what this conversation is about. Um, but we do want to get you on a path to stopping permanently, hope, hopefully, right? Someday um, getting you to stop permanently if you are a smoker. If you are not a smoker and listening to this program and you're probably itching to tune out right now, don't tune out because again, I know that you know <laughs> that we all know, right? People around us that smoke uh, cigarettes, that use tobacco products. And so this information is useful for you too in being a support and advocate for uh, that individual in your life that smokes cigarettes. And I'm going to make the case, right? Starting now, 34 million American adults currently smoke cigarettes. It's the single largest preventable cause of death in the world here in the United States, causing more than 480,000 American deaths each year. That's approximately one in five deaths in the country, right? Each year, 300 billion a year on smoking related illnesses, 225 billion in direct medical care costs. And there's another 156 billion estimated in in terms of lost productivity dollars, right? And the fortunate thing is we've seen rates declining uh, recently. 42% of persons aged 18 and older smoked cigarettes uh, in 1965 versus 14% as of 2019. Uh, But I still advocate we have a ways to go. And that is because smoking, as we said, causes more deaths than each of the following combined. HIV, illicit drug use, alcohol use, motor vehicle accidents, and firearm-related injuries. If you took all American wars and added all of the premature deaths from those American wars, um, we would still have 10 times more citizens that have died prematurely from smoking in this country. Increases the death, the r- risk of death from all causes in both men and women, causes about 80% of all deaths from COPD, 90% of cancer deaths, increases your risk for heart disease. So everything from heart attacks to strokes. Um, And let's not forget to talk about 
disability, right? Because I think that's a another conversation. We focus a lot on deaths, but we are talking about potential severe disability. Um, if not from strokes, which is the leading cause of disability in this country, right? We're talking disability from things like heart disease or even COPD. And so the list goes on. I can keep going, but I'm going to let Dr. Friedberg <laughs> jump in um, because, I mean, this is what I see as an emergency physician. That's what I'm putting out there, right? These are not just numbers and statistics that we're talking about, but this is real life stuff, stuff that I see every day. Um, and, and as we said, a largely preventable cause of death and disability in this country. Right. Absolutely. I think you nailed it. I, I, don't, <laughs> I think you, you, ran, you ran down a lot of good reasons to... Uh, to be concerned about smoking and to not smoke, right? You know, uh, I think most most listeners probably know now that smoking is not good for your health, um, and that's really reflecting the uh, efforts of people like yourself, physicians, and also public health officials, and and um, people getting the word out. You know, starting around the fifties or sixties when people started to notice a link between smoking and poor health. But, you know, you're talking cancer, heart disease, stroke, lung disease, diabetes, COPD, which is that chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, um, things like that. You know, uh, you also we also should mention uh, secondhand smoke. Right. So there's mm. 41, there's 41,000 deaths a year in the United States attributable to uh, attributed to secondhand smoke. So wow. the people around the smoker, especially if they're sharing a living space or workspace or something like that. Um, and you'll probably recall, you know, that was a big deal when a lot of places um, implemented smoking bans in like bars and restaurants, right? Because a lot of the workers were exposed to that secondhand smoke. So there's also kind of the collateral damage here in related to uh, to smoking. It's not just the smoker. And yeah. in, in terms of, you know, in terms of the... Because I think we gotta, we have definitely have that contingent out there that are like, well, this is what I do, and I'm sure. comfortable doing it, right? Um, everybody has to leave this planet one day. We all have to die someday, and people acknowledge that facts. There's nobody arguing those facts with you. Um, but when we talk about quality of life, and I'm gonna add a couple more things in there, right? If, it, ladies and gentlemen, this is these are not scare tactics on health in Harlem. Okay, <laughs> this is not misinformation, disinformation. Um, we definitely are trying to make a case, but this is all right. This is all real stuff that we are bringing before you. Um, and so if you're not scared of um, everything that we've kind of laid out thus far, right, let's think about the financial costs. And we talked about the cost to society, the $300 billion, right, that costs our society, our economy each and every year here in the United States. Well, let's talk about the financial cost of your pocket, right? Because that's the thing that I think will stand out is like, how much money is in my pocket? What can I do um, with the dollar? Especially with um, everything that's going on, everybody's concerned about inflation and stuff. Well, guess what? You can save yourself some bucks, uh, some real money um, with smoking cessation. And when we talk about a person with today's prices, right, smoking one pack of cigarette daily for the next 10 years, you will spend over 130 thousand dollars one hundred thirty thousand dollars um just a, a staggering number a lot like a lot of money can i say something to that mm -hmm. the other thing about it is what i you know you, you mentioned earlier people saying well you know we've all got to check out sometime right we've all got to we've all we've all got to shuffle off this mortal coil and 
go meet our maker at some point in, in, in time. And I, and, and I say, yeah, but you don't have to do it choking for air, right? Hmm. You know, it's a painful death. It's, it's a, it's a, it would be a bad way to go out uh, to, to be dealing with lung cancer, to be dealing with COPD and not being able to breathe. So you mentioned quality of life. That's really important. The other thing about the cost that people don't think about is time, all that time you would spend, right? I have folks I work with who are quitting smoking who are sick with tobacco related disease and they spend a lot of time at the doctor's office, mm. right? They spend time traveling to the doctor's office. They spend time organizing the schedule so they can get to the doctor. They have to undergo testing. They might have to be admitted to the hospital. Um, they can't spend time doing the things they want to do because they're sick, right? So, and there's also, of course, the time component of, of organizing your life around smoking. You know, a lot of people have to leave their house or their apartment or their workspace and go outside and smoke or something like that, or they have to worry about going out of the house and getting cigarettes. Um, so, you know, this all adds up. I mean, time is something you can never get back. You can't make Thanks. more time, right? So that's another thing I'd like to point out is that it's, it, it is the finances and that's, that's a big motivator for a lot of people as it, as it probably should be. But there's also the time thing to think about how much of your life are you going to spend on this um, mm. and the consequences. And so that's less time with family and friends, as you said, that's right. uh, less time this Thanksgiving potentially, right, with the holiday season coming up, um, you going out for cigarette breaks and we haven't seen each other because of the pandemic, especially um, in eons. And so that's time mm. subtracted from family and friend. Um, and that is in addition to, ladies and gentlemen, right, the premature, the likely, um, unfortunately, the likely premature death. Let's acknowledge that. Um, so that's additional subtraction of time. There's a lot of time. Good. Mm -hmm. All right. But uh, moving on. So if that didn't. Right. So if the cancer, heart attack, stroke, chronic lung disease, um, the impact to your bottom line didn't budge you or didn't scare you. I'm going to have to take it to the next level, right? I'm going to have to, <laughs> people are going to be mad at me, but this is the purpose of health in Harlem. This is why we do what we do, right? It's going to mess with your sex life. And I know probably people out there are like, what? What is he talking about? Especially the fellas. Well, yes, it will, right? You smell like smoke. People don't want to be around you. Your teeth are yellow. Your breath is probably hot, especially if you downed that milk-laden coffee um, to wash down right after your cigarette. and Men, you can't get it up um, because of your peripheral vascular disease. Um, maybe because of the heart disease, you get chest pain uh, during intercourse. Yes, I took it there, right? I took it there because <laughs> this is reality. This is not. <laughs> this is not a. Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, you can. Yeah, I'm a DJ, a discharge, but this is all real stuff that we are talking about. These are consequences that I see people pay on a daily basis working in emergency medicine. Um, and so, again, the biggest thing to focus on, right, are not these things, but that this is all largely preventable. Um, one, by not smoking. So if you're not a smoker and uh, probably by listening to this, you probably will not go on to smoke, uh, hopefully. And if you are a smoker, right, quitting as soon as possible um, because and we'll get into this. There are real benefits with quitting. Right. There's, there are some reversible um, things. And that's that's what we really want to hammer home. So if we were to put this into perspective regarding other substance use um, disorders um, in this country, Dr. Friedberg, where is smoking sort of in that hierarchy or, or chain? Well, well, you know, we, we started off today 
talking about this unfortunate recent data about the increase in overdose deaths um, from from uh, opioid related, mostly opioid related deaths in the country in the past year or so. We're doing a little bit better, I think, with smoking as a nation. Um, nationwide, I think you mentioned this at the top of the show, about 14% or so of adults smoke. Um, this is about one in seven adults. This is down actually from 2005 when about one in five adults still smoked. And recall in 1965, about 42% of adults smoked. So while smoking does remain the number one cause or tobacco related illness does remain the number one cause of preventable death uh, in the United States, um, the smoking rates continue to decline. Now, something interesting about the pandemic, about the COVID-19 pandemic is that cigarette sales actually increased for a period of time during the pandemic. And it's not quite sure why that was, but one hypothesis that's been put out there, one idea is that um, people were stockpiling cigarettes, right? You know, like they were stockpiling toilet paper, things like that. Yes. So, so <laughs> smoke. That. that was bizarre, but yeah. Yeah, so. yeah. They might have gone out there and bought a bunch of cigarettes thinking that, you know, it's going to be hard to get these down the road. But so fortunately, smoking rates continue to decline. Um, uh, you know, in terms of other stuff, you know, more, more, more U.S. adults drink alcohol than smoke, for instance. But the good news is that the smoking rates do continue to decline overall, year over year. And what what is is there a particular reason for that that we've seen this uh, significant progressive decline for the last what sixty years or so? Absolutely. Uh, is there a particularly uh, or yeah. a known reason as to why that is? So there's a couple ideas, right? So in 1964, the Surgeon General published a report that outlined health risks related to smoking. People had suspected links between smoking and, say, lung cancer for, for some time before that, but this really put it out there for the public. This was the Surgeon General's report, 1964, kind of said, you know, we believe here smoking causes lung cancer. Here's the evidence. And around that time, cigarette smoking really started to fall. And the public just became, it, it was really uh, reflecting um, uh, a greater acknowledgement, greater understanding by the general public in this country about the health risks related to smoking. And along with that, there was more support from the people for regulating the sale and advertising of tobacco products. So, you know, if someone, mm -hmm. if someone's a smoker and they start to develop health problems, they might say, well, I don't want my kids or my grandkids to smoke because I'm having these problems, right? So then they might be more okay or more likely to okay a, a tax increase, for instance, or a smoking right. restriction on or a restriction on smoking advertising or tobacco advertising. Um, so really it's this, it, what's accounted for this is really this, this kind of um, concerted effort by, um, you know, the, the medical folks, you know, doctors, physicians kind of getting aware of this public awareness, public health campaigns, and tighter regulation on marketing and sales and things like tax increases and smoking bans. That also works to kind of decrease smoking rates over time. Got it. And so, and, and looking at, it sounds like one thing that really, as you mentioned, right, with, with the Surgeon General sort of mentioning the health risks or bringing that up in 1964, and we seen, saw a decrease after that, just that general awareness of the risks of smoking was enough to get people to start to move um, when it comes to quitting or not smoking, right? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. the, 
it seems like, yes, awareness is definitely part of this. But when we look at the demographics, right, of smokers today, um, and there are some definite clear discrepancies, um, we see more males than females smoking, right, 15.3% versus 12.7% with females. When we look at education, uh, those with a GED, right, 35.3% of smokers. Um, When we talk about individuals with graduate degrees, um, 4%, right? Undergraduate degree, 6.9%. I mean, so we see this clear correlation, right? With the higher education Mm -hmm. level, sort of the less smoking um, Mm -hmm. amongst these individuals. When we look at um, household income, uh, so another socioeconomic uh, trend, we see individuals or households under $35,000 Per year, 21.4% of smokers uh, versus, right, in households with more than $100,000 income, uh, we see 7.1%, a much lower rate, um, like three times lower. So what is behind it? it basically, it seems like there's a disconnect, right? So this message, Absolutely. everything Absolutely. that we talked about, even if you want to look at the financial side, especially to me, this is clear. Like if I had a household income of less than $35,000 a year, and I talked about buying a pack of cigarettes for the next 10 years, and that would be $130,000. Um, even two days not smoking for a person that smokes a pack a day, that's $72, right, mm-hmm. that you would save. So what? why is there this disconnect and how maybe can we get the message to these individuals? So there's a lot to unpack here. Right. Uh, Why is there, why is there this disconnect is, is, there's a lot of reasons that I'm sure uh, contribute to this. Um, One thing is access to healthcare resources, right? You know, so if you're in a relatively disadvantaged area, your lower income area, you might have less access to healthcare resources. You might have less contact with your doctor. Your doctor might have less contact with you and able to kind of suggest smoking cessation. Um, You might have less access to, um, medications, and I think we'll talk about this maybe a little bit later in the show, medications that can help you quit smoking that are FDA approved, right? Um, you might have less access to counseling resources. You might have more people around you that smoke. You know, we know that being in a household of someone that's a smoker raises your raises a child's risk of becoming a smoker themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a, that becomes a cycle that perpetuates. And, you know, there's also differences in rates across um, uh, sociodemographic groups that are significant here, right? So the the uh, rates of smoking between white and black Americans, for instance, are roughly similar, about 14, 15%, right? In dis- mm-hmm. some disadvantaged black communities, the rate is as high as 40%. Wow. That is a huge increase over the baseline for the rest of the population, right? And... There's all sorts of health disparities that go along with that. And this is something that we uh, take a look at very closely down here at the University of Chicago and something that we're very invested in in our uh, outreach efforts and our clinical work here with smokers is trying to, to address some of these healthcare disparities. So, for instance, while according to the CDC, you know, while African-American smokers might smoke fewer cigarettes and start smoking at a younger age or an older age, excuse me, they're more likely to die from smoking related diseases than white smokers are for instance. Mm. 
And there's a lot of history here, which uh, maybe is could be a, the topic of a whole nother show. Of a whole yep, <laughs> true story. About, wow. about marketing towards the black communities, um, about um, the proliferate, pro- the pushing by the tobacco companies of menthol cigarettes, which some people, some researchers believe make it easier to become addicted because it kind of cools the smoke down, easier to become addicted to menthol cigarettes. So there's all sorts of stuff to unpack here. Um, but it's a very complicated story. So uh, real quick, before we move on to actual smoking cessation, right, for those active smokers and talking about quitting, um, quitting smoking, let's just briefly talk about prevention, because one thing I'm curious of is, is why do people pick up this habit in the first place? I know you mentioned that being in a household, and that makes perfect sense to me, I think probably to a lot of people, that being exposed to someone um, with this habit, you're more likely to engage in that. Um, especially children seeing somebody maybe smoking in a household. That is, you know, sort of a thing to do maybe to them um, in, in looking at the adults around them. But what are some other reasons, if there's any um, uh, evidence or information that you have in regard to that as to why people pick this habit up in the first place? Is it stress? Is it um, still like the social factor? Um, even though I don't think smoking is looked at as necessarily cool by many people anymore, but what is behind that? So 90% of smokers start smoking before the age of 18, right? So, so, so in, in some jurisdictions now, you know, the, the smoking age is, is become, they're, they're turning into 21 years old. You have to be 21 years old to smoke. Right. Um, and it used to be 18, but 90% start before the age of 18. The average age to start smoking is 13 years old. Right. So it could 13? be 13, 13. That's the average age to start smoking is 13 years old. Now it could be stress. How much stress is a 13-year-old going through? I don't know. You'd have to ask them. But <laughs> it could be that. But but probably it's more related to the factors that you mentioned earlier. At, uh, uh, do you have someone in your household who smokes? A parent or, or older brother, sister, aunt, uncle, grandparent, something like that. You know, Is there someone around you who smokes to kind of model that behavior that smoking is being acceptable? Do you have peers who smoke, Right. So there's peer pressure. That is a real thing, mm. you know? So, so if someone's in a group of, of, of friends and the friends are smoking, they're going to be more likely to smoke. Um, access is a huge factor, right? So one argument for raising cigarette taxes, it, which, you know, a lot of smokers hate, but, you know, it does restrict, it does limit access of youth because they don't have the money to buy the cigarettes, right? Got it. Um, and uh, uh, the other one is that, you know, Nicotine is a popular drug and has been throughout history because people like the way it makes them feel. And for youth, it's a way to get a buzz. It's a way to alter how you feel without kind of an overt intoxication. So, you know, you, you could go home to mom and dad and, you know, you know, you might smell a little bit like cigarettes, but you're not, you know, drunk, falling down, something like that. So there's a, there's mm-hmm. an appeal of the drug to people. And that's, of course, as I'm sure most folks know now nicotine is the addictive drug in, uh, in, in tobacco, and that's what gets people hooked. So a number of different factors could contribute to the initiation and maintenance of tobacco use. Uh, and, and it typically is very young people that start. Wow. You know, and, and uh, I, I feel like a dodo um, in sounding so surprised at the age of 13, which I, I'm surprised but I remember being surprised when I was 12, 13 um, in middle school. I had just moved to Staten Island at that point and um, was in seventh grade. And I remember a friend of mine 
um, I turned the corner and I saw her with a cigarette and we were in the same class. Mm-hmm. Um, we were in the um, honors class in seventh grade. And I looked, I was like, what? Like, I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe my eyes at 12, um, 12 years oh, old, yeah. seeing this in front of me. And she was just like, oh, this is a regular thing. Like, hey, what's up? What's up, Mo? How are you? I was yeah. like, oh, I'm, I'm so good. She's, the, av- are she's you good? the average case, right? She's the average person. You know, that was wild for me. But yeah. it's still wild when I think about a person starting smoking um, that young. And especially when we talk about the health effects, right? The cumulative, mm-hmm. right? This is long-term damage, ladies and gentlemen, that real-time damage that's being done uh, to the body with each and every cigarette. Each and every cigarette with the 4,000 chemicals, 4,000 plus chemicals um, being given to the body, damaging blood vessels, um, changing all types of stuff throughout the body that can lead to a lot of poor you know, bad health outcomes. So from that young, oh, yeah. it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's astonishing to me. So prevention, as we said, sort of limiting exposure, limiting access, um, limiting the, or at least the social, I think, I think as a society, right, we've mm-hmm. definitely, definitely succeeded in, in making this a less cool mm-hmm. venture. I think um, mm-hmm. a lot of young people, when you talk to them these days, it's not as cool as it looked to me when I was younger. I actually look, I remember having a little toy candy cigarettes. Oh yeah. And that was a cool thing. We would play around acting like we were smoking, um, which is something that I I really um, would have a hard time seeing young kids do. (laughs) It's not that image anymore of what we saw in the movies um, and stuff as we were growing up. Right. But remember that's, that's also a consequence of the shift in smoking rates, right? You know, maybe when you were younger, the smoking, the smoking rate was closer to 25%, 30%, who knows, you know, and now it's down to that 14, 15% range. So that's also a change in our attitudes societally. That makes sense. Yep. No, it makes perfect sense. Um, so when we talk about smoking cessation, when we talk about quitting smoking, what are the benefits um, and I think, right, who knows, whether you live an additional 10 years, I don't think anybody feels that the extra five years or 10 years that will likely be added to their life um, by quitting smoking. And that's what I think makes it hard to grasp the benefits of not smoking. But what are the real tangible benefits that one can achieve when they decide to stop smoking? So the first thing I'd say to that is, and this is what I tell, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm a clinical psychologist, right? So my area of expertise is in mental health, behavior, helping people make behavioral changes, including quitting smoking. I don't need to know anything about anyone's medical history to be able to tell them conclusively that quitting smoking is the best thing they can do for their health. Hmm. It's never too late to quit. So we have folks come in, they might be, we, I, I've helped people quit smoking who are in their seventies, even older sometimes, and it's never too late. The health benefits of quitting smoking are so great. Uh, you mentioned uh, life expectancy. Well, mm-hmm. ten, 10 years is kind of abstract. A 10 year life extension might be kind of an abstract concept when you're 30, mm-hmm. but it's probably less of an abstract concept when you're 70. Right. Mm, and, you know, as you get closer you. to the end there and you're thinking about what you might do with that extra time, you know, on this earth. Um, so obviously it improves. We mentioned quality of life. You know, you're not spending all day at the doctor's office. You're not spending all day 
trying to struggle to breathe. You're able to do more, you're more active. So it improves your health and life expectancy, lowers your risk of cancers, lowers your risk of lung disease, heart disease. Um, if a woman is uh, pregnant or thinking becoming pregnant, it's going to improve her health and the health of the baby. Um, even for people who already have heart disease or COPD, it can improve their health as well. Um, and here, here, the, the cool thing about it is, you know, you can experience health benefits from quitting smoking literally within minutes or hours of stopping, right? So for instance, um, in just a few minutes, like 20 minutes after you smoked your last cigarette, your heart rate and your blood pressure are going to start to decrease and return to normal. And then within a couple of days, you're going to have all that carbon monoxide, that poisonous gas that's in smoke. That's, you know, the same thing that's in car exhaust. That's going to be out of your system. Your body's going to start healing itself very quickly. So you can see benefits just in the order of minutes, really. It's remarkable. I think that's the one thing to focus on, ladies and gentlemen, is the regenerative capacity of the human body. Right. And we talked about this, this injury that is taking place with each and every cigarette smoke. Um, and in that time in between cigarettes, your body is like, all right, let's fix this damage, man. We got to like clean up the walls here. You know, they're uh, just like you would see, like removing the graffiti off of a wall. Um, that's what your body's doing at the cellular level. Right. Um, repairing damage that has been done by the cigarettes uh, themselves. Um, but imagine just giving him more time, right? Less and less cigarettes, your body has more time to regenerate. And so you do have, um, as Dr. Friedberg said, right? Recovery of uh, loss function, um, recovery of your, your overall health and well-being, um, especially when we talk about individuals, right? And this is the, the thing too, and we, we get into that sort of, it seems like a defeated mode of thinking. Right. I've had the patients that come in with uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease with COPD and, you know, they're in the hospital. They were there the week before and they're back again. And I'm like, what is going on? Are you sick? Reason? Are you, you know, having like an infection or something? Um, and no, it's like they're still smoking the cigarettes. That's probably the cause. But one thing that has been shown time and time again, and the research <laughs> always shows the same thing with this, is that by decreasing smoking, you will have less COPD um, exacerbations, right? And people think of, and this is true, COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, right, is, um, you know, technically irreversible. There is damage that's done. Um, this is why it's a chronic disease, right, to the lungs. But that does not mean that you cannot slow down, right, that process, um, that damage, and even reverse some of that damage. Um, and that's why when you stop smoking, even if you have COPD, even as um, uh, Dr. Freeberg said, you have heart disease, you are much less likely to have complications from those illnesses. Mm -hmm. um, and even it comes down to like, after just a couple of days, um, after three to six months of not smoking, right? you the, the hair like structures in your, that clean out your lungs, the cilia in the lungs start working better. You're much less likely to cough and wheeze less. You feel, um, less stressed and in a better mood. You, the blood flow to your fingers and toes improves. Um, even like the after a couple of days, like your your skin and hair and nails start to look better. Um, so it's just so many benefits, tangible benefits, right? We're not just talking about, as, as we said, that abstract, how long are you going to live? But you start to feel and look better by stopping smoking. And, and also more money. Probably more money. money. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got more money in your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe uh, for the females out there, you can go get your mani pedi, right? With your nails <laughs> and skin looking better, you can you can brush that up even more with that extra money that you got to get a nice mani pedi. Uh, and so let's get into the actual nitty gritty because this is the hard. I think we've made the case on why it is very beneficial to quit smoking. Um, as you said, at the outset of the program, the vast majority of Americans, I think, are very aware of the, the risks, the health risks of smoking. And we do have a lot of smokers out there that want to quit. I can't tell you how many patients I've seen in the ER that when I talk to them about this issue, they're like, yo, I actually do want to quit. Um, <laughs> 70%, it's, it's hard. 70%. Yeah. 70%. 70% wow. Want to quit. Yep. They want to quit. Yep. Mm-hmm. So what is it that becomes, what makes it so hard? And I can't, this is where I've always had that disconnect in the ER um, and even with family, right? In that I've never been a smoker. So I can't, I don't, I have no clue what this struggle is mm-hmm. like, but um, mm-hmm. Dr. Freeberg, if you can educate me on what sure. is that struggle, what makes so, it so difficult? So I said 70% of smokers want to quit. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, man, that sounds like me, I want to quit. You're in good company. Seven out of 10 smokers want to quit, right? And here's some good news for you. The good news is that most adults who have ever smoked have quit. So 61% of adult ever smokers do end up quitting. So that's good. Now, you asked the question, what makes it uh, challenging for people? What is the hurdle? A big hurdle here, and this is where we can really get the word out, is that less than one-third of smokers use methods that we know are effective for helping them quit. Hmm. For instance, most people cold tur- most people have heard of cold turkey, right? I'm just going to stop smoking. That's it. I'm done. Cold turkey is the most popular but least effective way of quitting smoking. Cold turkey works for about 3 or 5% of smokers. That's about it, right? Everyone knows someone who's quit cold turkey, which is awesome. I would, you know, that's great. But in reality, that's really the not, not the most uh, helpful way to quit. So one reason what keeps it so hard, in addition to the fact that, you know, nicotine is an addictive substance and people become addicted to the nicotine and they experience um, withdrawal symptoms when they stop using it, is that most people don't know about or don't use some of these tools that we have that can really help them to quit. So that, I think, is what really makes it hard, you know, uh, on folks. Got it. And and real quick, with the cold turkey approach, what is it that usually... Because I, I imagine, right, it's just something happens that puts this person in that frame of mind immediately. I'm done. What is it? Um, is there any research behind that as far as what that usual trigger is for that individual? That's a great question. Uh, what triggers someone to decide to quit cold turkey? I'd have to look more into that. Um, I, mm-hmm. I can tell you just anecdotally from talking to folks, um, it can be major events like the birth of a child or a grandchild. Um, it could be a health problem. You know, if someone's diagnosed with lung cancer or they discover a spot on their lung and the doctor wants to do more investigation, uh, that can be scary. Someone could suffer a heart attack or stroke. Um, we hope it doesn't come to that, obviously. You know, we want, yeah. we want people to, to quit before then. That's a great question. I have to look more into that. But, but uh, I think it can be very individually different of what would inspire yeah. someone to quit uh, cold turkey. Mm-hmm. And my, my experience has been the same thing, too, where it's um, and I guess it makes sense being in the ER, but it's definitely that defining moment, moment where people have had problems or complications from an illness likely caused by smoking where they said, I'm, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so definitely in the minority as far as successful 
quitting of smoking, um, no cold turkey mm-hmm. approach. Mm-hmm. So what are the, when we talk about successful um, successful methods, when we talk mm-hmm. about sm- smoking cessation, what are those methods? What has been shown to be consistently the best approach? Um, and even maybe started from scratch, right? Um, mm-hmm. As far as the reasoning mm-hmm. behind quitting mm-hmm. smoking, mm-hmm. Um, what is the, mm-hmm. the best method? So there, there's two really great tools we have here that will dramatically increase people's chances of being successful quitting smoking. Okay. So the, the two, the two broadly speaking are counseling and medication. So counseling involves talking with someone. It could be a group, it could be a quit line. And, uh, you know, if, if, if uh, it could be visiting a website, uh, like uh, smokefree.gov and looking at the tools there for, uh, helping you quit. But this basically means developing a plan when I say counseling, I mean, it's really about developing an individualized plan for the individual to identify their triggers for smoking, plan their quit attempt, discuss how to manage cravings, give them tools and strategies and techniques on that behavioral and psychological side to get through the behavioral and psychological aspect of the addiction, right? Mm-hmm. That's one part of the addiction. The other part of the addiction is the biochemical part or, or the nicotine, right? I mean, the nicotine itself, you know, when your body's looking for that nicotine, it's used to getting it, it's going to have what's called a, a withdrawal symptom, uh, symptoms, right? So that side of the equation, um, there's FDA approved medications that are uh, proven effective in helping people. They're safe and effective in helping people quit smoking. Combining counseling and medication is your best option. That's about a 40% increase in success over either one of those alone. So for the best bet is some behavioral approaches um, mm-hmm. using some of those resources. Again, it could be individual, it could be group, it could be, you could look online and, and uh, again, that's smokefree.gov. That's the, uh, that's the uh, United States kind of uh, stop smoking resource. That's got a, that's got a couple apps on there, even on the smartphone where people can download those apps and look into those and uh, help them kind of come up with some strategies. Uh, and then the nicotine replacement or the, or the medication approach. Got it. And for those, because I, I think one thing, right. And especially some of the listeners now that are not smokers that know of someone that smokes um, and they want them to quit. And even for the smokers themselves, right. In getting support, and getting a team around them, group-based approach, that probably definitely a way to go, I think, for some individuals. Mm-hmm. Some individuals might be shy and not want to engage in other smokers, or that maybe in- might increase, or they think might increase them, uh, the chances of them having difficulty. But what about family supports? Is there anything that we can do um, in terms of supporting an individual that we want to help in quitting smoking? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, we call our program at the University of Chicago Courage to Quit because quitting smoking takes guts. You mentioned f- people feeling shy, right? I encourage folks to ditch the mindset that trying to quit smoking and not quite hitting the mark or not being successful means you're a failure. This is a mm-hmm. process that can take time for some people. Not everybody, not everybody, but for some people, it's it's kind of what we would call like an iterative process. In other words, they quit for a while, they might restart smoking, they might quit for a while, they might restart smoking, or they might try to quit and be unsuccessful. But each time is an opportunity to learn from the experience. So how people can support 
the how the family and friends can support is to acknowledge that, to understand that, that this person's really doing their best and that they can use encouragement, they can use support. Um, uh, uh, one thing that I uh, suggest people talk to their families about is making the living space, for instance, a smoke-free area. So, you know, uh, if other family members smoke, asking them if they would help to clean the, the space and then if they would smoke outside while the person's trying to quit. Some people do live with other people who are smoking or not smokers and not ready to quit. And so that's why that's important. And just acknowledging that, you know, they're really doing their best and that um, words of encouragement are always appreciated. And if they're not quite successful the first time, then say, hey, you know, we'll get this next time. And um, just really encouraging people to uh, learn from learn from their mistakes and continue onward because you will mm. get it. You will get it eventually. Eventually. And you know, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do this. Um, thank God we have no commercial interest on health in Harlem, ladies and gentlemen. I'm so proud to say that. And um, with that said, I will always promote anything that I've <laughs> consumed recently. Um, and one podcast I want to recommend, I think I've mentioned this before on the program is hidden brain, ladies and gentlemen, um, with Shankar Vedantin. It is on NPR. And they recently had an episode actually last month called Be Kind to Yourself. And it was mainly about, right, self-compassion, um, how, you know, self-criticism, which is often seen as a virtue, right, a, a thing being hard on yourself, I got to get it right. And, you know, I can't fail. And, but, Self-compassion can go a long way. And especially as Dr. Friedberg just mentioned that it hit me, I was like, this is a perfect example where this can work, right? And that Absolutely. sometimes we have trouble, especially during stressful times, we might smoke again, we might have a say, but that does not mean you're a failure and that does not preclude you from going forward, right? And and actually quitting. From the behavioral um, side. Or getting back on. From the psychological yeah. behavioral side, it would never be considered a quote failure unquote. I would sit down and I would mm. say, let's talk about that. When you felt so stressed that you reached for a cigarette, um, you know, you're back here today, you're, you're recommitted to quitting. So what do you think you could do next time? What, what where, where, where can we kind of uh, shore up your defenses a little bit to make it less likely, for instance, that next time you're, you're uh, stressed out, you'll smoke. And then really, you know, again, not enough people use these over the counter FDA approved, um, nicot what's called nicotine replacement. Your, your listeners probably, I'm sure, have heard of the nicotine patch. They might have heard of the nicotine gum, nicotine lozenges. Um, these are available over the counter. They're when used as directed, they can really dramatically increase your chances of being successful. They don't eliminate all desire for smoking or cravings, but they can kind of take that edge off and make it that much easier to use some of the other skills. Uh, that you might learn in, in, say, counseling or reading up online about some some strategies or visiting with your doctor or joining a group mm. de dedicated to smoking cessation or meeting with a counselor. And I think a lot of people look at the financial side of that in that some of these therapies, um, especially nicotine replacement, can be they can be pricey. Mm -hmm. um, but again, remember, by cutting back on smoking, you are already right improving your finances as well. And so maybe just reallocating some of those dollars to some of these um, aids, that is, that might be the way to go. And in the end, you'll probably, right, come out looking better financially. You're going to come out $130,000. Yeah. You're going <laughs> to so, come out with It's an investment. <laughs> so far ahead, it's not even funny. And the other thing about it is, you know, call your insurance company, call the quit line, right? Uh, if you're, if you're in New York, then the number one eight six six ny quits which is 
the website's nysmokefree.com. There's also smokefree.gov. Check out the websites, you know, call the numbers, call your, if you're in another state, you can Google uh, my state quit tobacco quit line. They might send you some stuff for free. You know, you may even have free patches, free gum, free lozenges. So, you know, you may be able to, to do this process for relatively cheap. And a lot of insurance companies are really, do really cover tobacco cessation because smoking related disease costs them so much money. So they're really invested in getting you off of cigarettes as well. Hmm. So use that to your advantage, ladies and gentlemen. Now, one thing, um, as we begin to wrap up, but this is something, a burning question. I know a lot of people had when it comes to electronic cigarettes, um, where are we in terms of that as a potential aid? Has it been shown to be beneficial um, in getting individuals to stop smoking? Have there been real ben- health benefits um, associated with that as a replacement for smoking, um, actually tobacco-laden cig- cigarettes? Um, any any information on where we are in that regard? Sure. So, you know, e-cigs are relatively new. E-cigarettes, um, e-cigs... Um, they're, they're sometimes called electronic nicotine delivery systems. Uh, they are relatively new on the, on the scene, right? These were products that started to gain popularity sometime around 2007 or so. So we don't yet have decades of data like we have with cigarettes or longer, like we have with cigarettes to really show us any kind of health risks related to these things. We really need to study these more closely. Um, that those studies are ongoing, um, some folks who follow the news, you know, might know that recently the FDA approved one specific e-cigarette product called the Views, and they approved this one product uh, for uh, marketing and distribution because they determined that this could help reduce that, that this could potentially help reduce harms of smoking by exposing users to fewer toxic chemicals than are what are found in traditional cigarettes. But, and here's the important thing I think folks should understand, less harms does not mean no harms. Okay, so we got it. We're still studying this. There are chemicals in in the aerosols that you inhale from e-cigs. And this one specific product was approved, and it's not approved as a cessation product. In other words, it's not approved as a product that the FDA says this will help you quit smoking. Um. It, it. It, it may be less harmful if people switch entirely over to it. But what we know is that a lot of smokers don't switch entirely. They, what it's called dual use. They use uh, tobacco combustible or traditional cigarettes, the ones you light up, and then they use an e-cigarette. And that can, have a, that can be a problem because someone might start vaping in a situation where they would normally not be able to smoke, and then they're getting more nicotine in their system. And the other thing is the cost, right? So as these products have come out, they're, they're becoming more popular, yes, but there's also going to be more regulation, more taxes, more cost. So the best advice still is to quit, uh, period. Uh, quit, period. Quit, period. I'm, I'm but, okay. Quit, period. Yeah. And, and a lot of folks uh, 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 want nicotine out of their life, period, because they don't want to spend the money, they don't want the potential health harms, et cetera, so forth. So that's and still the time. Easy. We mentioned the time before and that time. investment and in time. time. Yep. You're still taking those breaks and yep. you know, gone for 15, 20 minutes at a time and yep. we'll be yep. out, you know, stepping out of the room during yep. the holidays or times with family, friends, yep. time working. Yep. Yep. Um, so yep. I'm with you on that. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Dr. Friedberg, as we be, as we wrap up, um, what would you say? And there's a lot of stuff. So, <laughs> I mean, this is hard for me to even think about. But what would you say is the most important message that our listening audience should take home uh, from from this program today? I'm going to give you a couple messages in kind of one long run on sentence. OK, so first of all, it's never too late to quit. Second of all, you can do it. Third of all, use the resources that we know can help. So that would include counseling, talk to your doctor, go to those quit lines, go to smokefree.gov, download the apps, get the um, nicotine replacement products like the patches and the gums. There's also medicines we didn't even mention these. There's prescription medicines, uh, drugs called a drug called Chantix, for instance, is one that's that's uh, used that can be used to help people quit smoking. So. Use those resources. They're out there. Not enough people use them. Not enough people use them. Mm. Um, only about one third of smokers actually end up using those. And so you can really just dramatically increase your chances by using those resources and those medications that are shown to be effective. So, wow. Thank you very much for that. Thank you so sure. much. And, and one thing, ladies and gentlemen, again, today, November 18th, 2021 is the great American smoke out um, this is a, basically an awareness campaign put on by the American Cancer Society. This has been going on since 1970, started in Randolph, Massachusetts with Arthur P. Milani. He was the director of guidance at Randolph High School in Massachusetts and initially started this off as just a way, right, to get people to save money, right, and, and not smoke for a day and contribute that money to a scholarship fund for the students in that high school and this ballooned into what we know today as the great American smokeout, ladies and gentlemen. So this is the day. If we're going to get started, right, just, just start today. Um, I think this is a good landmark <laughs> where we can start um, on that journey to quitting smoking. Um, if we are not a smoker currently, right, looking at family members and friends, um, I got a list of people actually after we're done recording that I'm going to reach out to. <laughs> And send this episode to like, it's just a little nudge. Um, let them know what's going on today and how important it is to quit smoking. And um, one thing that I want to also get out there, ladies and gentlemen, we got the New Year's coming up. Um, so New Year's resolutions currently being crafted and stuff. Well, guess what? You can get started on that New Year's resolution right now as we approach the holiday season um, and getting on that journey to quitting smoking. As Dr. Friedberg said, it can be done. There are resources out there for you to take advantage of. Um, I didn't even know about smokefree.gov. So thank you for sharing that. But sure. NYC quits is another one. And anything you Google locally, like I found one um, down here for Atlanta, Georgia, um, a quit smoking program. So these services and resources are, as Dr. Freebird said, they are readily available. And you can always check out Health in Harlem um, in our prior episodes and especially this episode to learn some more about that. So once again, Dr. Friedberg, I want to thank you so much for spending this time with us on this very special day. And you're more than welcome to come back because <laughs> I know I we said you. that uh, yeah. Yeah, there's some more things regarding smoking, um, even alcohol cessation. So many things that we can talk about. Sure. Thank you so much. My pleasure. This was time. a lot of energy. fun. A lot of fun. That's what's up. That's what's up. You made my day <laughs> in saying that. <laughs> um, ladies and gentlemen, we also thank you, the listening audience, for tuning in. And as always, in advance, we thank you for sharing whatever you have learned on the program uh, today. Share it with friends, family, anybody that will listen at the water cooler. Yes, we are back at water coolers. 
um, as the vaccination rates and stuff increase and we've seen the rates going down steadily. Uh, thank God when it comes to COVID. So, yes, we're back at the water cooler. So tell somebody what you learned today on Health in Harlem. And also, ladies and gentlemen, we want to shout out the rest of the Health in Harlem team. Uh, as always, each and every week, ladies and gentlemen, this show is dedicated to the memory of Miss Gloria Thomas. Harlem, take care of yourself. <laughs>